Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. Today is the 29th of March, 2023, the 7th day of the Hebrew month of Nisan. And we are less than a week away from Leila Seder, from the Seder night, from the holiday of Passover, Pasach, the holiday that symbolizes more than anything else the exodus from slavery into freedom, the birth of the Jewish people, the Seder night is the cornerstone of the Jewish tradition. It is the day that every family gets together. And the story of the exodus from Egypt, the story of the Jewish people is passed on from generation to generation. It is a night that symbolizes more than anything else, the family-based nature of the Jewish faith, with the family being the central institution of the Jewish people, of the Jewish faith, of the Jewish religion. It's not a religion of synagogue. It's the religion of the family, of the home. And Leila Seder, the Seder night, with the Haggadah, with the meal, with the experience, is the focal point, the highlight of the entire year. And it happens at home, in the family circle, with family and friends, with everybody having somewhere to go to, somebody to celebrate with, that's what it's all about when we tell ourselves, our children, our communities, our families, the story of the exodus from Egypt. And of course, the central um, point of that is leaving um, slavery and going into freedom as a people, but also as individuals, with every single one of us finding our own point of slavery where we are enslaved to something or somebody or some kind of thinking. And this is the day when we, the night actually, and then the day when we can find internal freedom, when we can throw off the yoke of anything that enslaves us, whether that's a person, an outlook, a mindset, or a behavior, we can find freedom. And of course, this um, theme connects very much to the events that are happening in Israel right now. Over the past three months, the new government has been trying to pass a judicial reform. The point of this judicial reform is to break up the monopoly, the cartel, of a small group of people, individuals, that took over the power structures of the country, whether it's the academia and the universities, the media, and more than anything else, the judicial um, branch of the government. And so they've tried to make, make some changes, and with the protests, they have um, backed down and really tried to make very minor changes, like giving the coalition the opportunity to appoint two judges per term to the Supreme Court, two out of four. But of course, the uh, the opposition and the protesters uh, did not back down. And on this past Monday, I think was a historical day where all rules were thrown to hell. And basically, Israelis, for the first time, understood that there is no rule book. 
what happened on Monday was that um, a very small junta of the leading elite shut down the country. So if in the past weeks we have the pilots, uh, a small group of about 40 pilots, saying that they will stop flying the um, planes to defend the country, and had a small group of fiber, cyber experts in the army saying they will stop showing up for the military service. And you had maybe a few hundred high-tech leaders who said that you know they'll pull their money or companies out or whatever it is. You had small groups of elite members of society saying that unless the judicial reform is stopped, they will stop doing their part. But what happened on Monday when the law was supposed to be actually voted on was that um, this small junta basically shut down the country. What does that look like? So the union, the Histadrut, announced an on-the-spot strike. Now, by law, it's not allowed to do that. The Histadrut has to give two weeks notice before any strike. And, of course, the courts can order it to stop the strike. But what happened was is that the state attorney's office also went on strike, which meant the government could not turn to the courts to make this truth stop the strike. And when the Minister of Treasury, Smotrich, turned to the state attorney for uh, with a request to get a private lawyer to petition the court, she didn't answer him back. So basically, within hours, the entire Israeli system, the entire Israeli um, society was shut down with a few doctors leading the union of doctors shutting down the entire medical system, the Histadrut shutting down uh, the um, refineries, the ports, um, the local government, and then in the highlight, literally on the phone, the head of the union that uh, unites the employees of the airport shutting down the major international airport, Ben Gurion, and basically holding Israelis hostage. Nobody flying in, nobody flying out. This happened on the phone. The head of the Histadrut called the head of the uh, union in the airport, and on the phone, on the spot, he announced that the airport is shut. So the hospitals were shut, the clinics were shut, shut down, the airport was shut down. And then uh, a very small group of um, tycoons shut down the malls. So basically what we, the people who voted for the Cumberland government, were told, sit down, be quiet, you are hostages in our hands, and we will shut down the entire country and there is nothing you can do about it. So under these circumstances, obviously, uh, Netanyahu uh, backed down and announced um, uh, a freeze or a stopping of the reform. And now there are going to be um, talks as if there was no election, um, you know, five months ago. So I think what happened on Monday is that we understood finally, the Israelis, I mean, the feeling in Israel is very hard. People feel that a lot of emotions are, are running really high. And the people of Israel, the silent majority, finally understood that there is a small junta really holding the country hostage. Until now, this small dictatorship has been silent and covert. We didn't see it. 
you know, we felt egalitarian, we felt this is a democratic country that would go to vote, it's a real thing. But what happened is that the small running ruling junta really showed its hand. And now we're not naive anymore. And actually, the power of this junta was in its secrecy. The power that it had over us is that we didn't see it. But today we do. Today we understand that our votes don't count. And there's so much anger. Just yesterday, I heard a very moving monologue from a man who is part of a technical crew that services Israeli airplanes. He's a man who grew up in a southern city. He is Sephardi. He shared how he really didn't have educational options. When he was going to ninth grade, his school had you know, one option, electrical Electricity, that's what he could major in. And when he came to the army, he wasn't given choices. He said, oh, you, you studied electricity in high school? Well, you're going to be in maintenance group for, for the planes. He didn't have a choice of trying out to be a pilot because there were no high-level mathematics or physics in his school. And that's prerequisite. And that's, you know, that's just so, um, so common because in certain cities, in certain communities that are predominantly Sephardic, there are no educational choices that give the kids the opportunity to go into cyber, to become pilots, or to join the elite. And this guy, together with hundreds of thousands of hundreds of uh, members of Air, Air, Air Force maintenance crew, said, "Oh, really? You pilots think you're such hot shots? You think you can tell us what to do and how to vote? And your votes count more than ours? And if..." your will is not done, and your political agenda is not followed, you are not going to fly? Well, let us tell you something. If we don't service these airplanes, you're not going to fly. And we are not going to be treated like uh, second-class citizens in the country. And the pain in this man's voice was so real. So, you know, if if our votes don't count, if our voices don't count, we have just as much power as you do, and we're just not going to oil and maintain your planes. The man said that he is the one who straps a pilot in the in the plane. He is the one who turns the plane on. The pilot can't do anything until he's strapped in by somebody else, until somebody else turns on the plane, and only then the pilot can take off. But the pilots, you know, the the um, the their hubris went to their heads. And there's a small elite that its hubris has gone to its head. And it thinks it rules the country. But I think what happened on Monday is that there was a crisis. And I think finally the people, the real people, the simple people, the ones that are not giving representation, not in the academia, not in the media, not in the judiciary, finally understood that no, they've had enough. And this judicial reform is just a start. It's actually not enough. And in that way, although I'm deeply disappointed, I'm also happy that judicial reform didn't pass. Because if it would have passed, it would have been a band-aid, a patch, a patch in the existing system. It would have made things incrementally better. But I think what happened now is that we understand that while one side, the right, is playing by the rules, and is trying to play within the framework of the democracy and within the framework of the law, and is held to the letter of the law, the left can do whatever it wants. It can announce a strike from now to now against the law 
the courts will not get involved. The, the state attorney will not get involved. They can shut down the country. They can shut down the, the health system. They can shut down the airport. They can take the country hostage and not pay a price. And that means there is no rule book. There is no rule book. There is no game. There's no game board to play on. It cannot be that only one side of society plays by the rules and the other side of society does nothing. It doesn't play by the rules. That means there are no rules. And actually, I think it's going to take a little bit of time for the right to realize this. But what this means is that we need to write a new rule book. It cannot be that only one set of society is held responsible to keep the rules. And then, of course, the next thing that happens is everybody starts screaming, unity, unity, you're all brothers, well sisters. We, you know, you can't do anything. You can't you can't break the society. You can't tear the society apart. We have to be united. And I very much understand the need for unity. Jewish unity is a supreme, supreme uh, value. But I'll tell you something. So is domestic unity. Domestic peace, peace in the family, is a supreme value in the Jewish society. Okay, the peace and the harmony between husband and wife is a supreme value in the Israeli religion. But you cannot have harmony with an abuser. If one side decides to start abusing the other side and ruling over and lording over and taking the freedoms and rights away from the other spouse, then the only way to break that cycle of abuse is for the victim to stand up and smash the board. In psychology, there's something called the drama triangle in which there's one person who abuses the other person and then there's somebody who's trying to save the, the victim. The only person who can break the drama triangle is the victim. When the victim says, no more, I'm not taking this anymore. And yes, it, cre- it requires smashing the existing framework. And what very often happens in abuse situations, what always happens in abuse situations is when the abuser sees that the victim has had it, they start saying, but honey, I love you. We have such a beautiful family. Don't go. I didn't mean it. I love you. I love you. I love you. No, don't go. We have to keep the family. Peace, peace, peace. But that's just gaslighting. That's another way to keep the victim in place. So uh, on the one hand, I'm very torn because I very much believe in Jewish unity. But on the other hand, this talk of Jewish unity and, and playing by the rules is right now used to keep the right in its place, to prevent the right from standing up and turning this unfair game board over because it has to be turned over and I think the changes we need to make are not quantitative they're qualitative we need to change the rules by which Israel works we need and I think nobody yet understands what this new Israel would look like but it's not going to be the same I think after this Monday there is no going back to the Israel we've knew until now. I know that I, for one, am not ready to go back. And I think we were naive. I think that's actually, um, I think that's actually the weak point of the right, that he was naive. And we tried to believe as best we could that we live in an egalitarian, equal society and that every person can reach uh, results based on their, on their impact, on their 
learning or the education. If you work hard enough, you can get far enough, but it's just not true. In Israel today, only 9% of tenure professors are Sephardi. Only 15% of TV anchors are Sephardi. Okay? Out of over 80 Supreme Justices in Israel, only 7 were Sephardi. Out of 14 state attorneys, only 2 were Sephardi. Okay? There, there is injustice that is baked into the system and it has been this way since 1970 uh, since 1984 um i'm sorry since 1948 when israel was established because it was a ruling class that established israel the mapai the socialist ashkenazi elite and it saw everybody else as second class to it the religious the haredi the uh, the arabs and, and the sephardim and and we very much want to believe we're not there anymore. We very much want to believe that everybody else has caught up. And today we live in an equal society. But on Monday we saw that that's just not true. It's just not true. And and the change has to be much deeper. You have, and it's going to be a pendulum swing before you can get to into a balanced democratic society where everybody has a say, the right and the left, which is the right thing to do, actually. The right and the left have to both have a say, and there has to be balance, uh, and there has to be cohesion and consensus and unity. That's the best way for the country to be in the end. Before we can get there, there has to be a pendulum swing because the only way to get there is to break the cartel, is to break the monopoly, uh, on on the rule and people saying yes but Likud and Bibi have been in power the past 20 30 40 years well yeah they've only had one part of the one part of the government they don't have the other part and the other part when it saw that the right has taken over the government the judiciary the left took over the judiciary and made the judiciary supreme to the elected government and now it basically rules the country and tells everybody else, you, you can't do anything without us. You can't do anything if, unless we agree. The government, the Knesset, the people, the voters, we don't care what you think. It's us. We are the supreme. That's the problem. And that has to be broken down. And together with that, the other cliques and cartels on power have to be broken down. The the histadru, the unions, it's, it cannot be that the unions can shut down the country within a matter of hours out of political whim. That two, three, five doctors that sit on the board of the Union of Doctors can shut down the entire Israeli health system within a matter of minutes. That just cannot be. So we have to rewrite the rule book. And when we do that, we will have freedom. We will have equality. And I think it is so, so symbolic that this is happening during the days leading up to Passover. It is said by uh, uh, Rabbi Elishiv, I'm sorry, the father of Rabbi Elishiv, the Leshem Shvov Echlamai. It's a Kabbalistic work for about 100 years ago. And he writes in it that the three weeks leading up to Passover from the 23rd day of Adar until Passover the time when we clean our houses from chametz, from the leavened bread, are actually a time that we clean out everything that is wrong, that is unhealthy 
in our system. And it is so proposed that everything is coming out now. We are finally seeing the depth of, of rot that is here in the Israeli society, the inequality. And I feel so pained saying this because I would not have said these words three months ago. But I think there's something very broken in Israel right now. And, and we have to fix it and we have to heal it. But you cannot heal something that you don't know that is broken. And so what happened in the past weeks and is happening right now is that everything that is broken is coming out. And on Passover, we can feel, with God's help, the sense of peace and, and um, freedom. And then from Passover, from, from the second day of Passover until Shavuot, we have 50 days which are the 50 days of building. It's the 50 days when every day we work in a specific trade, a specific facet of reality until we can create this vision of the ultimate society, the vision of Sinai where the Torah was given, which is actually the ultimate vision for the Jewish people. But it takes building. And it happens after the feeling of freedom on Passover. So I think that this year specifically and especially we're seeing this happening on a national level more than we have ever seen. And tomorrow, Thursday, there is going to be a huge demonstration of the right in Tel Aviv. And if you're in Israel, I urge you to join it. And what I urge the women to do is to bring a tambourine. In the left protests, the center point of the left protests were the women who showed up in red capes and white bonnets um, as a symbol of The Handmaid's Tale. The Handmaid's Tale is a book and a TV series about uh, a dystopian theocracy where some women have been imprisoned and became slaves and they wear these red um, capes and white bonnets. And the idea is that if the judicial, judicial reform will pass, women will lose their rights in Israel. Of course, it's not true, but this has been the narrative of the right, of the left. Well, here, I think the right needs its own narrative. And our narrative is the narrative of leaving this inequality for equality and freedom. And in the Jewish lore, the symbol of that is a tambourine because when the Jewish people left Egypt and went out into the desert to get the Torah to go into the land of Israel the women prepared tambourines because they knew that there would be deliverance they knew there would be redemption and when they left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea on the other side of the Red Sea they danced with tambourines as a sign of the freedom of redemption of hope and so if you're coming to the demonstration on Thursday, ladies, get a tambourine. You can get them into in a dollar store in any of the stock, Max stock, Zolstock, any of those stores. You can get a tambourine. It costs 10, 15 shekels. Bring a tambourine. And that's going to be our symbol of freedom, of deliverance, of the kind of just Jewish society we want to build in Israel. So I will see you there. And I am wishing every single one of you a Hak Pesach Kasher Vesameh, you have a happy Passover. If you don't have where to be this Passover, if you don't have a Seder to go to, I urge you, please reach out to your local Chabad house. Just Google it, Chabad house near you, and they will help you set up 
a place for the Seder because nobody should be alone on the Seder night. And if you know somebody who doesn't have a family, please reach out to them and invite them to be with your family because nobody should be alone on the Seder. So hopefully we will see you on the other side after Passover as we celebrate our personal, national, and communal freedom. And I wish you the best. This was Leah Roney with news from the Torah. Bye-bye now. If you love Israel News Talk Radio, then you'll love our Facebook page. We keep you up to date on what's happening in Israel, plus little surprise treasures that we don't share on the radio. Go now to follow us on Facebook. Just look for the Israel News Talk Radio Facebook page. And don't forget to subscribe and follow us by clicking on the like button. We post great stuff there that you'll want to share. Israel News Talk Radio on Facebook and Israel News Radio on Twitter. If you're hearing this message, everyone else can too. Advertise with Israel News Talk Radio and get your message out to people. We'll build a personalized package for you. Contact advertising at IsraelNewsTalkRadio.com. Straight talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, this is Jake in Anchorage, Alaska, and I love listening to all the super interesting interviews and up-to-date information on what's happening in Israel. Hello, this is Anna King, originally from London, now living in Israel. And what can I say? Israel News Talk Radio is my cup of tea. My name is Bhaskar. I'm from India, and I love listening because you get to know the truth and wonderful voices from this lovely country. Mom! Okay, wait a minute. Hi, this is Chava Dax, and I'm calling for the rolling hills of Malaya Dumim, just north of Jerusalem. I always listen to Israel News Talk Radio to get all the latest news and commentary and to keep me up to date every day. This is Sarah Dax from Malaya Dumim, and I'm 12. I wish Israel News Talk Radio was boring so my mom wouldn't listen to it all the time. Mom! You're listening to Israel News Doc Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio.